All right. Well, anyway, have a good uh, have a good Christmas. I'll uh, I'll get my shit updated. Dangerous Fields of Ruin in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 230 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about venturing into one of the deadly places in Emeron, the Mornland. But first, the party meets their companions in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Siren Avenger tracks down and punishes the culprits in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts to choose from. They've got easy-to-use design tools that lets you build your perfect miniature online using a fully 3D, in-depth character creator right in your browser. Uh, fair warning, you're going to spend far too long doing this. Mm-hmm. Yep, but they offer custom minis in a variety of materials, including plastic and metal. So uh, maybe just make many different minis, like uh, the same mini, but in a different pose or holding a different weapon. I mean, I definitely would make a mini uh, with like a two-handed weapon and then, of course, mm-hmm. a shield and a one-handed weapon mm-hmm. and then a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And, and then you want to get them in the come at me bro pose as well as the like quiet and meditative pose. Oh, totally. And then like uh, me uh, in uh, the audience with uh, the monarch uh, being both uh, noble but uh, equally obsequious, yeah? Yeah, this is perffect. And then when you learn how to cast some simulacrum, you'll have all the poses available to you at once. <laughs> oh, the Bardic College was so expensive in real life and in game. <laughs> <laughs> so Hero Forge also offers downloadable model files for users to 3D print their unique design at home. The catalog is constantly expanding, and they're adding new parts every week and major features like additional races and custom poses. So visit HeroForge.com to start designing your custom miniature today, and check back often. New content is added every week. And this holiday season, you can get gamers in your life a HeroForge gift card. They are delivered instantly via email and can be used to purchase minis, both digital and physical. So check it out at www.heroforge.com slash hashtag gifts to get your gift card today. So Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. On the day of morning, along a barren stretch of a Carnathy battlefield, the party is fighting for their lives. So we are not yet a party, Ishan. Nope, nope not at all. <laughs> just strangers. Just a- just strangers who have all happened to grab survivors from this Carnathy onslaught and attempted to usher them towards the safety of a rocky outcropping to the south. But in the meantime, the undead are raining arrows and evocation grenades on top of your heads, which is not a fun place to be. So beneath this outcropping, the survivors are huddled together and they sort of take stock of who's actually there. So in addition to the adventurers, the members of the actual soon-to-be party, there is a pair of sellswords, a squad of Ondarian soldiers made of human private Margana, Sergeant Bach, a dwarf, the half-elf, Corporal Sien, 
all led by the human colonel, Darian Ephraim, the one who threw Bramble the Shifter to the ground to uh, save his life. I did not realize that Colonel Ephraim was his last name. (laughs) (laughs) Darian Ephraim. Yes, indeed. Uh, As for the refugees, we have Elaine and his daughter, Pole, uh, mourning the loss of their mother, while Johera and daughter, Meryl, try to quiet the orphan, Gersey. And a woman whom Lenore refers to as mother, but seems to manhandle fairly roughly, uh, are off in the corner, and she certainly does not seem to be Lenore's mother in any way. And then there is one hooded figure just off to the side who seems to be in a bit of a daze. So acting as lookout, Margana reports that the situation is dire. The undead are streaming down the hill around either side of the outcropping, and a small group of skeletons is approaching their position. So Bramble casts an illusion to distract as many skeletons as he can off uh, in the distance, and a group of four of them break off and head after the illusion. But six more skeletons round the corner, and the group ambushes them. So Warden... Uh, does what Warden does. He turns into a bear. Uh, Zan does what Zan does and conjures a polearm out of thin air. And Decimus does what Decimus does. He loads a Warhammer with magical reagents. So the three of them, along with Lucky the Paladin and Lenore the Rogue, all close to melee to attack the six skeletons, while Bramble stays in the back and casts spells. And the Undarian soldiers uh, form a protective ring around the refugees. So the adventurers make quick work of the skeletons, though some of them begin to spit arcane fire and explode when they die, which is lovely. Then the group turns their attention to the other four undead who have been distracted by Bramble's illusion. But before the skeletons are cut down, one of them pulls a grenade from somewhere and throws it directly at the refugees. But when it explodes, Ephraim counterspells before it can kill them all. And then Margana reports that in just a few minutes, they'll be surrounded by more undead. And we'll find out what happens next week. So this week, we are talking about running and playing adventures in the Mornland. So with the release of the latest D&D sourcebook, Rising from the Last War, there are a bunch of new people out there who have been introduced to the world of Eberron. That means that there are a ton of new parties that are about to be headed into the Mordland, the blasted, corrupted wasteland left behind when the entire nation of Seer was destroyed in a magical cataclysm at the end of the last war. That's sort of one of the first things you notice when uh, you're learning about Eberron, right? Like, you get a map, and there's this, just this big chunk of an entire continent that is grayed out, and you're like, uh, what's there? Oh, that's mm-hmm. that's the Mornland. That used to be a country, and now it's uh, a horrible wasteland full of abominations and monsters. And you're like, oh, let's go there. I want to go there. <laughs> right. So this episode, we'll be talking about what you might find once you actually get there, and hopefully how to survive to get back out. Uh, if you do want a rundown of Eberron as a full campaign setting, you can check out episode 33. All right. So what's in the Mornland? Well, that varies from edition to edition and, of course, table to table. I mean, we've talked about this before. One of the things we love about Eberron is that there are lots of sort of non-canonical mysteries. They don't necessarily have answers. Uh, And you can answer them or not answer them however you want at your own particular table. 
but the first thing about the moorland is the tone of the place. It is a haunted and eerie location. Uh, it is full of trauma and death. It is essentially the site of basically a nationwide genocide. Now, whether or not it was an actual genocide sort of depends on the causes of the day of mourning that destroyed the whole country. Like maybe it was an accident, but also maybe it was completely intentional. Yeah, and this tone stands in pretty stark contrast to other parts of Everon that are like swashbuckling action or, you know, referential, like introspective noir. Uh, th- this is going to be something that is much more um, like the horror oriented. Right. Like, I think a lot of Eberron games get together with the pitch of like, hey, all of you are Indiana Jones and you're part of the Adventurers Guild and you're, you know, going to like kick in doors and like steal relics and or, or like you're detectives, you're inquisitives in Sharn on the mean streets and it's, you know, there's greasy rain. And also now here's terrible body horror and like people are turned inside out and everybody's dead and you know, your family's gone. So <laughs> when you are going to introduce the Mornland or you have a party going there, make sure people understand that things are different, right? You can, you can end up with too much body horror. There can be a lot of triggering subject matter, especially for people who've dealt with maybe similar things in their real lives. Make sure you talk about the X card. Make sure you talk about lines and veils, like what is okay in the game? What do people not want to hear? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like the, the Mornland is, is definitely the kind of place where you could have imagery like a kid hanging from a gallows, right? And and that is not appropriate for a lot of different games or tables, but it, it you know, it definitely might be like the kind of creepy, eerie, awful space that you do want to take a game to. So have the conversation. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind that the cause of the Mornland is mysterious and there is no canon answer, but whatever you decide in your game might influence what it's like inside. However, there are always a few things that are consistent about the Mornland. So it's a twisted mirror of what Seer used to be, which was the crown jewel of the Five Nations. It was full of sophisticated metropolises. It had seaside resorts. It had productive magical factories. It was the the homeland of, of House Caneth, the, um, the dragon-marked house that basically runs artifice uh, for the entire continent. And all of this was populated by a people who were talented and artistic, although they had a bit of a reputation for being haughty because they were so talented and artistic. Like, think a country of Florence. Of elves. Sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> elves nearby, too. So some things are still in the same places that they were before the Day of Mourning. You'll have the ruins of a city still in the same location as the original city. Or... If you have a party member who is a survivor of the cataclysm or originally came from Seer, their like home farmstead might still be in the same location, and so they know how to get to it. Yeah, there might be a tower that is still standing in the place where it was in the same condition that it was. Um, but instead of being just naturally there, it might be turned around facing a different direction or inverted or perhaps completely untouched. Like Not a day has passed. And also, corpses don't rot. Um, Almost everybody in Seer was killed on the Day of Mourning by the billowing dead gray mists that sort of spilled out of, well, people differ on where they came from, but, you know, now they they spread across the entire country. Uh, So hundreds of thousands of people died, and a lot of those bodies are still lying in the exact same place. The corpses don't rot. Um, 
they are not decomposing. They're not skeletons. They're just dead bodies with blank eyes staring at the sky. Yeah, all the food and water is either spoiled or poisoned, but it's not rotting. It's not changing. It is just there. Yeah, don't eat it, but it might actually look perfectly fine. Right. Um, and then the other thing is living spells, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's always been a hallmark of, of the of the Moorland is just something is wrong with magic in the Moorland. Right. Uh, it's sort of DM fiat stuff is wrong. Right. So in terms of geography, uh, every uh, edition of Ebron has come with a map that includes maps of the Moorland, but they're all relatively vague. But there are locations that tend to be the same. Um, they don't have a ton of details. Typically, you know, they have names like the glowing chasm and the, the fields of ruin um any information that a party might have about those places could just be hearsay or rumor it could also turn out that they're actually true um before any party goes in the moorland there should definitely be some some form of reconnaissance or research or something to figure out what they're actually getting into yeah there's a uh there's sort of a cottage industry about making runs into the Mornland to recover artifacts and, and basically dumpster diving. Um, but like the people who do it tend to be pretty accomplished and also have a real big incentive to like kind of over talk their game, right? Either because they can get it or to keep other people from attempting it. Yeah. So, they also they also tend to be fairly shady people. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So you, you never know that you can trust all the information that you've heard about the Mornland and, and have to consider the source pretty pretty carefully Mm -hmm. and the other thing to consider when you are setting up uh, a moorland game or you're planning to go into it is how deadly is it now this can change you know depending on where you go what you run into how bad your luck is um it's always going to be bad (laughs) um but this will also depend on like the party level and how long the party plans on staying in there like how difficult should you make the moorland for a party entering yeah, I think typically the lower level of the party, the more difficult the Moorland should feel, right? Yeah, and however difficult it is going to be, the GM should telegraph how, how difficult it'll be, right? Like, you don't just waltz up to the Moorland and, and walk on through the Dead Gray Mists. Like, you, well, you, literally, because you'll just get turned around and end up on the wrong side. <laughs> right, or, or on the right side, and that's a big problem because you're definitely not prepared. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you'll probably be telling somebody, hey, we're going to the Moorland, and they'll be like, well, you're an idiot. Uh, don't you know about all the crazy things? There's the living spells, and do you even know how to get through the mists, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Great. They should be doing preparation. They should know how much they need to prepare. Like, you know, if level two adventurers are getting sent into the Moorland, then they probably need some assistance. Mm-hmm. But if Bornell is mounting a, a, a campaign, then they probably can take care of themselves because he's got a bunch of court wizards. Right. And then also remember that sometimes the Moorland is just eerie and haunted not necessarily deadly or dangerous this is particularly if you know you are sending people in who have been there before or they're only really there for atmosphere and aren't necessarily trying to like i don't know go bring out bags of gold and magic items Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about the challenges that adventurers face in the mornland what do we want to like what do we want to touch on uh to to display how strange and alien and dangerous this is we talked about this a bit in the desert episode but 
a lot of the challenge of the Mornland begins with just the environment. The Mornland itself is trying to kill you. Uh, and, and you notice this the very first time as soon as you get close to it because the entire nation or the former nation of Seer, like the political border, is surrounded by the dead gray mists, which are, depending on who you ask, anywhere from like a few feet to a few miles thick. Uh, you can't see through them. Uh, you basically just have to walk through them. They surround the whole country uh, and they're very disorienting. Once you're inside, you could be lost for days uh, or, you know, it could be some sort of maze-like obstacle where you're stuck inside until you succeed at a survival or navigation check or something like that. Yeah, and then you should also maybe consider is this like the magic of like the labyrinth spell, mm-hmm. right? Where you have something like a, um, like if you have a minotaur, you might be immune to this effect or perhaps more concerningly, even the minotaur is not immune to these effects, right? Right. Either way, that tells you something very valuable. <laughs> right. That's why I always send in minotaurs first. Exactly. <laughs> That's, I mean, step one of Eberron Adventures is friend a minotaur. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have a minotaur in the party, what are you doing? Just get out. Go home. <laughs> Back right. to Sharn. Exactly. So the mists, one thing to consider, though, is how high are the mists? The, the height is unclear uh, in canon sources, but like to me, a dome makes more sense. Um, you can't just sort of fly over a wall of the mists. Like that doesn't work, which means it's got to cover the top somehow, or it sort of goes up and up forever into the sky, but that means that you... It would be like the largest thing anyone sees on the horizon on the entire continent. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. Right? You could be like a thousand miles away and you'd be like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's dead, that's the dead gray mists. They go they go 800 miles in the air. I mean, is that not true? Is that not how it works? I mean, if it did, then that just means that there's basically an infinitely tall tower of mists jutting out from the surface of the planet. I mean, sure. I mean, you still can't necessarily see all that distance, right? It is still a curve like world. But the higher, like, if the higher they go, then the further away that you can see it, right? Yeah, but, I mean, you still have, like, I don't know, all the regular light refraction of the atmosphere. Like, you can't just see infinitely. That's not our, our sole limitation is not our curvature. You can't see it through all the pollution in Sharn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the magical pollution. <laughs> like, all it's right. fine. It's not affecting the environment. It's just, like, it's brutal on the eyes. I like a dome because it means that you can uh, fly over it on an airship, but if you fall, you are definitely dead. Mm, interesting. I like the idea of airships having to fly around it. Mm, mm, the long way, the extraordinarily yeah. long way. I mean, don't you want that fun adventure where you need to get across it in an airship as quickly as possible, and now you're on an airship in the Mornland? I think you could still have a dome where if you try to cross over it there are strange magical effects or you're buffeted by like terrible winds and haunted skies that's good too Mm. look there's Mm. plenty of ways to play the more land exactly Um, also healing is a notable challenge in the more land Uh, depends on which edition you're in exactly how it works Um, it's basically it's been getting easier with every edition Uh, but originally no natural or magical healing works uh, then in 4th edition it became that it was impeded and now it's fine except in specific areas of the Mornland. 
Yeah, I've talked about I talked about this in uh, our review of the book. I don't like this. I prefer healing to be more difficult inside the Mornland. But you know, if you want to make it impeded, you basically get like half usefulness from healing spells and and natural healing. Like, go for it. It makes it a little more special and also explains why like why has no one gone back in here to like kill all the monsters and try to resettle? It's because yeah, you can't live here. Yeah, especially if the natural healing doesn't work, regardless. Right. right. So figuring out the fact from the fiction about whether healing works is a quest on its own, right? That there are typical exceptions that you can discover, like uh, the Goodberry spell usually works, lay on hands from a paladin, or wholeness of body from a monk. And then typically extra dimensional spaces can circumvent this. Like a, if you cast rope trick, you can climb inside and, and rest for a bit. But not something like Liamin's tiny hut, because that just creates a, a sort of dome that protects you. I would, in general, prevent a party from sort of figuring out a way to like crawl inside a bag of holding each and then cast their healing spells in there, because that just sort of cheapens the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, healing spirit inside the bag of holding, and everybody just climbs in. <laughs> in, in, in out. It's the world's saddest conga line. <laughs> Fortunately, we're all halflings. Right. Uh, then there is also corruption. Um, so the residual magical energies can mutate or poison living creatures. There are um, many monsters that roam the countryside that have been mutated by by this in some way. Uh, so just take whatever it is that you want and make it nastier. And there you go. You have your corrupt Morland creature. Mm-hmm. Make it grosser. There's plenty of magical terrain. Remember that nothing is necessarily as it seems. The What looks like grass from a distance could actually be sharp crystals on the ground. Trees don't... A tree may not have sap. It might have blood inside it. Rain might also be blood instead of water. Um, Another thing is that there's a lot of like inanimate objects with malevolent sentience. So a storm might chase you and it might laugh at you instead of thundering, right? Well, you deserve that. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) And there are a lot of permanent magical effects in places. Again, a lot of this is just non-canon. You you can make them wherever is necessary. This can be part of an encounter. Um, a place just might be permanently silent. There's, there's no sound whatsoever. Um, if healing does work, you can have locations where healing doesn't work. There can be places where if you cast a spell, you take psychic damage. Um, or you might just end up in places where you're completely lost or like, an actual maze, like a hedge maze, springs up out of nowhere and you have no idea how it got there. I would say probably have the locations where these weird effects occur be relatively static so that your party can begin to map out what like their Moranland looks like, right? You know, okay, if we enter, you know, directly east from New Seer, the first thing we run into is the the rain of blood like the storm of blood rain uh we should we should go a little more north next time and then only have to deal with crystal grass nah make it a probability chart (laughs) (laughs) at any given point it's just a series of monte carlo simulations to find out what exactly is going on in the moorland and when's the best time to pass it's just rng moorland (laughs) exactly that actually sounds terrible (laughs) So there are some long-term challenges as well. Uh, notably, finding food and water is difficult. What with um, what with all the food and water in there already being spoiled and corrupted. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're going to want to pack in as much as you can because, I mean, one of the benefits is you can bring in fresh food and it stays fresh because it's not going to rot while it's in there. Right. Um, and consider your spell uses. Uh, you should let these things work. If someone has create food and water, that should work inside the Mornland because they are conjuring it. It's not stuff that was already there. You probably aren't going to be able to take plants or um, like animals in there and figure out a way to make them you know potable and edible that's almost definitely not going to work i mean there's an easy way to make a rooster edible wild shape into something that eats roosters whole i mean or just you know cook them over a spit yeah they're definitely still mutated by the moorland Why is this rooster laying eggs? No, you bring the rooster with you. Oh, that's totally fine. Yeah, but yeah. that's the thing. External you, rooster. You can also just kill the rooster and then bring it in with you, right? Because it's not right, going to rot. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Stick it. What's this? Bag of dead roosters. Oh, my God. We've been back from the moorland for a week. Who didn't empty <laughs> the, the coffers? God. <laughs> so, speaking of which, uh, so speaking of equipment to bring with you, Good berries from a friendly druid, although remember those usually expire pretty quickly. Uh, you can make wine out of the good berries, and they basically work like healing potions. Of course, maps or any other like detailed information, navigational information that you can find. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the chances are that those maps are 100% accurate? Oh, if I'm GMing, almost zero. <laughs> what do you think of the chances that the guy who sold you the maps was definitely lying and made it up? I mean, the guy who sold you the maps definitely knows where you're going, and he's just going to loot your corpses afterwards. <laughs> Best gig I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Get them on the front end and the back. Exactly. You'll want to bring, if this exists in your game, scrolls or wands of the spell Repair Damage, which is the spell Cure Wounds, except that it only works on constructs, including Warforged. Uh, but, you know, if you need to fix your cart or think of all the things that you're there to salvage, right? Um, you might be there to try to fix the lightning rail carriage for House Orion. A repair damage spell will work perfectly fine and is probably going to be much faster than you, like, lugging in an entire workshop. Mm-hmm. So how does teleportation work in the Mornland? Canonically, I don't believe it's affected at all. So you can teleport into and out of the Mornland, and you're not crossing the dead gray mists, and you should be all right. And if you need a get out of jail free card very quickly, you can teleport out of there. So do that if you can. <laughs> yeah, sure. And then if you are here to fix things or repair things or salvage things, then bring an artificer. Uh, maybe that's an NPC artificer, but maybe it's just a member of the party. Uh, and probably dragon shards, which you will likely need to fix most magical items. So let's talk about what encounters we might find in the Mornland. Well, like you said, there's a lot of mutated monsters. Mm-hmm. For GMs, you might want to look at Dolgrims or Dolgaunts or all those other like creepy creatures that are basically two monsters mushed into one that the Dalkir have made as inspiration. So you got to get a lot of like animals who were fused together by the terrible magics of the morning. Yeah. Or uh, creatures that are like distorted in their like size or proportion. Right. So giant versions of something otherwise innocuous. Yeah. A giant dire rat. Uh Uh-huh. A giant two headed dire rat. (laughs) Right. 
there's also an awful lot of undead. Uh, the animated corpses of soldiers or farmers or children or whomever was in the Mornland at the moment of its creation. Yeah, one thing I like is that there were a lot of people... like. The morning killed basically everybody inside the political borders of the country. But remember, there was a war going on. There were a lot of enemy soldiers. So it wasn't just people from Seir. There was like an entire army from Thrain that was wiped out. Uh, spies from uh, different nations. Uh, diplomats who happened to be visiting. And all of these, all these bodies are here. All of their items are here. All of their like missives are still with them. Uh, all of the like secret things that they were trying to accomplish are left unfinished and also probably there are clues in the, on the bodies. Uh, and also like the ghosts probably want rest or want to have finished their tasks. And so you never know if you're going to run to run into a soldier from seer who is still very angry that like, you know, the, the brellish adventurer is here, or if you're going to run into a, a Thranish knight who is still very angry at seer. Right. Uh, there are also things like nightmare stampedes or, you know, wandering groups of ghosts or zombies. Right, because, sure, most of the people died and some of them have come back as undead, but also there were a lot of already dead bodies in graveyards. Right. Which are just an amazing amount of fodder for undead corpses. Speaking of which, uh, the corpse collector is probably a thing that you might run into. That's just one of those large golems that walks around the battlefields and grabs corpses and sticks it on its spike yeah it's a it's a thing (laughs) definitely a thing it's definitely creepy uh then of course there are scavengers so there might be other adventurers like you who are out in the moorland trying to accomplish some task uh as well as people who just make their living doing moorland salvage yeah how do they feel about you being here or jumping their claim even if you're not jumping their claim right and if you are able to survive in the Mornland long term, um, I think there's an excellent chance you are now a crazy person. It seems like you might be a little unhinged, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned this, but of course there are living spells. These are magical effects that have been turned into monsters. Some of these are going to be war magic, right? Like a living fireball, a living cloud kill, things mm-hmm. that were, you know actual spells that were active at the the time of the day of morning right but you can also have like weird and twisted utility spells which i i think are actually kind of more interesting you know like um continual flame and an entire area is just sort of uh bright and you don't really know why and it's because there's this big ball of like steady glowing light that's crawling around like a carrion crawler and also it wants to eat your torch i like the uh I like the living spell of knock. It's just like a, a house that you can't lock any doors. <laughs> and you do. And then it just opens it up, opens it up again. It's just open right up. Yeah. And it opens your eyelids and your, your mouth as well. You can't lock your eyelids. Have you tried? You ever tried? Yeah. I've been trying my whole life. <laughs> you go to Zalargo. They can lock your eyelids. <laughs> they got no problem. I'll make sure your eyelids never open up. Says the gnome with the knife. <laughs> So even like even something like seemingly harmless, like this is this is what I like about the Moorland. It's a harmless thing, or it seems harmless at first, and then suddenly you sl- well slowly you realize, oh wait, this isn't harmless. A comprehend languages spell can become deadly if suddenly the party cannot communicate with each other because it's inverted the languages, and now everyone starts taking psychic damage because 
it's trying to read their minds and translate what they're saying. Right. So then there are the Warforged in the Mornland uh, who are largely unaffected by the hazards of the Mornland. So it is sort of a natural place for them to congregate. And in fact, uh, inside the Mornland is the biggest and baddest of the known Warforged, the Lord of Blades, who is positioning himself as the like living deity of the Warforged and collecting a an army, basically, to serve him. He's very persuasive. Well, I mean, when your title is Lord of Blades. Uh, also, when you're a Warforged, as, right. as a member of the party, I find him very persuasive. <laughs> and then, of course, newly introduced in 5th edition, something I'm very excited about, the Warforged Colossus, or the Colossi, because apparently there are a bunch of them. There's a whole handful, yeah. Uh, they're really big. They're like, what are they, 300 feet tall? Yeah, something like that. Uh, they're kind of, they kind of look like a very primitive, slightly misshapen Warforged. I think they, they look like the Iron Giant. That's what they look yeah. like. Uh-huh. Or, yeah, exactly. or Bender. <laughs> <laughs> and these are like, sure, they're big giant Warforged, but they're, they're not alive. They're basically war machines that people control from the inside like a huge mech. Right. And they're inert and you can find them and crawl inside or maybe someone else already did and that's a problem. Right. Continuing the the discussion of the Lord of Blades, let's talk about the different power groups within the Mornland. Yeah. So obviously we have the Lord of Blades. He is a fighter and artificer with a whole pile of edged weapons and a fanatically loyal army of Warforged drawn from all across the continent as they sort of make their migration. So why hasn't he attacked the outside world yet if he's got this big army? That, that's something to, to consider, right? There's maybe something that he's missing or something that he's waiting for, or maybe he just doesn't know how to. Maybe he's, you know, addled by the Mornland. Yeah. And then, of course, what does he want with the party? I mean, maybe it's just to stab you all because none of you are Warforged, and he's very right. capable of doing that. Right. Um, but, but you could actually get a quest from the Lord of Blades. Uh-huh. He doesn't really leave the Moorland. Maybe he needs something from outside. Right. And I mean, whatever his motivations are, are sort of up to you because there is no canon backstory for the Lord of Blades. Mm-hmm. You you can sort of set him on whatever path you would prefer. Yeah. So it might be that he's building the Becoming God, which is it's sort of up to your GM whether this is a crazy idea or not. But he's building a body for a god whom he hopes will ascend to the pantheon now the warforged will have their own their very own god in their very own likeness i i do like that idea and that the dragons aren't aware of it uh as they interpret the draconic prophecy because of the like distortion of the moorland itself oh yeah i like that slash hubris because they just don't think the warforged could ever pull something like that off right they're not even like they don't even have souls exactly uh, and now that we have the Colossi, like that seems like the ideal base to begin building your own god. I mean, that could very well be the inciting event of a campaign is, oh, this Warforged Colossus just came out of the Mornland and attacked a neighboring country. What do? <laughs> and why? Right. <laughs> we need to get inside it. Um, nobody's controlling it. Oh, it's like a, it's a corrupted one? Uh, it's, it's... Or, or it has now been awakened and has a divine spark. Ah, 
its docents are now oh. its docent network is now fully operational. Oh, okay. Now actually I love that idea. Okay, nobody's controlling it. Oh my god, it's the becoming god. No, it's being controlled by docents and people just don't know what those are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these uh small uh like aluminum eggs. <laughs> what do they have to do with anything? Right. Um, also, the Lord of Blades could be interested in recreating the Day of Mourning, perhaps on a similar or even larger scale. Obviously, from his perspective, a whole lot of squishy people got out of the way. Uh, he might help Warforge inherit the entire continent. Yeah, I, look, I have a pet fireball now. Like, this is great. <laughs> right. This should happen everywhere. In terms of power groups inside the Mornland, you could also run into parts or remnants of house Caneth. you could have survivors you could have undead members of the house who are sort of still going about the same business they were doing before and of course house scavengers from outside who have come inside to reclaim as much of uh the magical material as they can or you know the random plans and schemes that the house was working on before the entire nation exploded so they might be in there like seeking to confirm the cause of the day of mourning or investigating the cause of the day of mourning. They might have accidentally become the cause of the day of mourning. Huh. Hmm. They also might just be there for whatever reason. And when they meet the party, accuse them of being the cause of the day of mourning. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be right. They just have to be belligerent. Right. Then there are also uh, plenty of dead in the uh, in the Mornland, which means there might be an undead who is leading them or controlling them. Yeah, could just be a lich. It's certainly possible that a powerful person became a lich in the terrible cataclysm that caused the Day of Mourning. I mean, maybe that's the inciting event of the Day of Mourning. That's someone's like phylactery ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, could have been a little more subtle, could you? <laughs> oh, now everybody knows. Ah, uh, Lady Vol could be hanging out in the moorland like it certainly doesn't bother her i mean i'm sorry do you mean lady ilmero uh oh yes yeah, sorry sorry new name new name who dis uh in the moorland they call me vol mm-hmm. there could be newcomers like new undead that showed up from dolur when you know suddenly this entire landscape had a much more intimate connection with the plane of the dead right um and of course like Syrian society might still be there, right? Like Queen Danelle might still have her like her territory intact. It's just that she is undead and she is running a nation of undead now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like maybe court is exactly the same. <laughs> well, I mean, except for, you know, the continual continual flame that's now lighting the court. Yeah, it's exactly the same. <laughs> it's always like that. Yeah, but if you don't say nice things to it, it turns itself off. Oh, sentient now. <laughs> uh, well, well, we had it built by gnomes. It right. was always like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you're in the Mornland, you're going to get into a fight, most likely. I mean, assume you're going to get into a fight, right? Uh-huh. But never assume that whatever it is that you're fighting is normal. Uh, I think the first round or two of a Mornland combat is always going to be a test of, like, what exactly is this? Do we recognize it? Um is it what it looks like? Is this some sort of illusion or is it going to suddenly like turn inside out or split into four or what? Is it's blood acid? Of course it's blood is acid. <laughs> you also need to consider what healing effects are available to you. Uh, if healing is limited, 
then you probably want to kite your enemies. Uh, use your ranged attacks as much as possible or like ambush and end a fight as quickly as possible. Before you even head in, you're going to be gathering info and doing research. But even once you're there, try to gather as much information as possible before you actually get into a fight. I mean, obviously, yes, you can't always make sure that you're never ambushed, but this will give you a lot more information about how to choose effective tactics during combat or completely avoid a situation that otherwise would have been very deadly. And and this is actually a good way for GMs to to sort of reward players for doing some planning and yet and still keep the moorland as like a scary and dangerous place. It's like yeah. if you if you do research properly, that means that you like didn't walk across this seemingly innocuous bare patch of ground. Had you done that and you find this out because you like throw a stick on it, you you know would have all been sucked to your immediate death by like invisible quicksand. Good thing you succeeded on that check. Right. So in that way, you want to approach combat as a puzzle. Like monsters don't follow the rules in the Mornland. Like a ghost might need to be shattered, like it's made of crystal. Or a two-headed dog might need commands in both languages that it speaks in order to follow them. Yeah, I I like the idea that you probably can't simply brute force your way through a combat uh, in the Moorland. There is always another objective or whatever you're fighting has an ulterior motive or something. And yes, there's probably some malevolence, but also there's probably some sense of like, I don't want to be here. Right, right. And so, like, help me in some way. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some plots for Mornland-based adventures. I think the easiest way to get your party uh, into the Mornland is to have them retrieve an heirloom or some sort of magical artifact or maybe even somebody's body. So, yeah, then you'll want to ask yourself, where is this thing we're looking for? How do you find the thing you're looking for? Who currently possesses the thing you're looking for? Right, and you may not find that out until you go to the location where you know it was, and now it's not there, and now you have clues as to someone who has gotten it. Right, and then once you get there, you maybe figure out what does this thing do, and if, you know, do you then keep it? Um, And... You know, if you are looking for a body, then maybe you find that they're still alive or they're now undead or whatever, right? Yeah, if I was going to send adventurers to go retrieve something powerful, like a powerful heirloom from my family, I certainly wouldn't tell them it was a powerful heirloom from my family, right? Right, it's a meaningless trinket. Yeah, exactly. That holds sentimental value. It is only meaningful to me. Right. And certainly no one would want to investigate the scabbard and press the dragon shard button on the inside. Right. And then, of course, if you do retrieve it, whatever it is, and then bring it back, what were the actual motives of the patron who sent you out there in the first place? This is a, a nice way to spin a Moreland adventure into something greater in like a more typical Eberron campaign. Then I think you can also engage with the question directly of, you know, you want to investigate the cause of the day of mourning, right? Like, why did the day of mourning happen? That's our campaign. Um, you might be headed to the Moreland for personal reasons or because a patron has hired you or, or something else. But, you know, the time you spend in the Mornland is how you gather sort of like first party evidence as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So where are you going to go to figure out those answers? The most likely places are going to be Metro, the capital, where Queen Janelle and her court were, uh, or places where House Caneth was 
powerful because it you know seems more likely that they had something to do with it even though they weren't necessarily the cause so that's mm-hmm. white hearth or Eston, right and then once you actually do get the info what do you do with it like do you trust it do you tell anyone about it because remember there's a cold war right now where the war only stopped because people weren't sure what caused the day of mourning and they don't know if they'll cause it again accidentally by continuing the war. Right. If it turns out that, yeah, it was a, a mistake that Kenneth made or some sort of like divine vengeance against Seer specifically, there's nothing stopping Thrain and Ondair and Breland and Karnath from like going to war again. Right, right. Uh, you might also be going into the Mordland to kill a legendary monster, not just the Corpse Collector or the Lord of Blades, but, you know, any other like particularly fearsome or legendary monster that you want to create. I heard a Warforged Colossus came right out of the mist and just stomped on a whole town. Uh-huh. Oh, you'll want to track it to its lair. It might be in one of those places like the Glass Plateau or the Glowing Chasm or like the Red Lake. And how has this monster changed? Like this is a good opportunity to take a a monster from the monster manual and then like make it creepy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like make it weird or change or take two of them and smash them together. Um, like this should definitely be a legendary monster because no one's heard of this thing before and we don't even really have a name for it. But here's kind of what it looks like from like the eyewitness account of a terrified villager. Right. And then you'll just want to figure out why is this monster doing this? What does it want? And then, of course, how can it be defeated? Or can it? Yeah, I can, yeah, it can be defeated. There's definitely totally. A way to yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you just talk to each of its heads in different languages, right? And then, if you want a more introspective Moorland adventure, you can always go on a pilgrimage, and this might be the party who is escorting, you know, whoever's paying a a, a non-combatant NPC, uh, an old soldier who like wants to visit the place where their companions died, or or it could be an actual member of the party who wants to visit one more time an important location or the place where they grew up, even though everybody's dead now. So those questions become, what does that person need to see in the Moorland? What's the reason for going there? And that might be different from what what is it that they want to see, right? Like they might say, it might begin with, okay, I want to go to the, the place where I used to live. I want to see if my family's okay i mean okay my family's not okay but like i at least want to see them and the home and maybe retrieve their bodies or something but when they get there you know again this might be different they might be undead uh they might be changed in some way what is it that this person needs in order to to get closure and how does right. that how does that change and of course how has this location or person or thing changed how is it different from the way that they remember it and is this in like a grotesque way uh is it just an eerie way in in things that have just shifted around and they're not quite the same um take stock here like if you were a player who was visiting the mornland and you know you want to like delve into your backstory uh be very clear with your gm about the kinds of things that you want to see or like the tone of what you want to see. And GMs ask for this information because there are a lot of ways you can go with it. It can be like body horror, grotesque, terrible, like, oh my God, look at all the destruction. It it can be also like an almost sort of heartwarming 
peaceful visit where where someone just has like a, a non-combat experience and and like deals with trauma or you you can also just have kind of weird unsettling things happen as in an impetus for like other parts of the campaign or to get other people who don't have a direct tie to the moorland more invested in like the awfulness and the horror of this place like um one of the images that i tend to use is like a, a wall a wall that's still standing uh, even though the building has fallen that fallen down and there are blast shadows like nuclear shadows of like people mm. who are against the wall except that they move like they're just walking around you can see the shadows are like walking as if their daily lives carrying groceries or children playing and then they just you know they're blown away like ash mm -hmm. and then they reform and continue it again and again over and over and then what is it what is it they want to do when they're there right do they need to leave something do they need to take something back do they need to get to this location and then it turns out that they need they want to die here right they want to join everyone else who died in the day of mourning so in terms of pitfalls for running morning for running Mornland adventures i think the tone is the easiest thing to miss on mm -hmm. right remember it's called the mornland uh, it is not supposed to be a happy place for high swashbuckling adventure it is meant to be dark and introspective and difficult it can also be too deadly if you can't get through the mists in the first place or you're going to get killed in the first encounter then you're not going to have an adventure and it's not fun right you can also just barely get through that first adventure and then be stranded with no healing and no way out yeah, if you can't afford the trip back through the mists, you could be stuck. Yeah. So remember, the moorland is fickle. It could be that you discover a cache of potions that were hidden, or there's a strange spring bubbling up from the ground. It could also be that the, the there was something dangerous, and it has now been twisted to be something beneficial. Right. Uh, I guess the inverse of that is it could be too easy. Like... If the Mornland is no major concern, then why doesn't everyone just build a base here and start scavenging and, like, you know, just basically expand their borders into the Mornland? Why why leave it separate? Right. It's a whole nation's worth of, like, magical items that uh, nobody's using. Why don't we just double our resources? Right. Or flip side, why doesn't Seer just rebuild here, right? Like, why is there a, a refugee community in, uh, in Breland instead of just going back into the moorland and rebuilding there right and why is why are people hiring adventurers to go in for them right so the moorland i think is best in small doses uh it's a location that's very different from the typical eberron game which can make for a nice change of pace but it's probably not what everyone signed up for long term when a game in eberron was pitched in the first place so like make it a place that is is a destination crazy things happen there and then you leave and then deal with the repercussions of the things that you saw or you know, the new knowledge that you've gained. Yeah. Make multiple trips into the Mornland instead of one long adventure expedition into the Mornland. Yeah, totally. That's way more fun. If you are playing an Eberron game and you haven't yet gone, gone to the Mornland, you should. Uh, I th uh -huh. There's no like Corvair set game that is really complete without Maybe not even necessarily a trip, but some sort of tie to the Moorland. Even if this is like a Sharn Inquisitive game, there should be objects from the Moorland or even like a quick short excursion there, like a dash in and a dash out. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, 
somebody goes into the Mornland and uh, brings something out of the Mornland, I mean, then you got to go follow it up and figure it out yourself. You know, you got to get eyes on the source of this problem. You got to track down, you know, uh, they just keep bringing me stuff out of the Mornland. I didn't ask for this. I don't need these Mornland artifacts. (laughs) Wait, you said that whiskey's from the Mornland? (laughs) No, it hasn't been aging at all. <laughs> it's perpetually new casks. <laughs> it burns, it burns. Alright, do you hear that, Ishan? That is definitely that storm that is chasing us and also laughing at us. Well, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge and see what the storm is gonna catch when they find us. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by D&D Beyond. It is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons and Dragons. You can use D&D Beyond to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. There's a lot of awesome content for free, like the D&D Basic Rules, articles from writers like James J. Heck, and videos from people like Todd Kenrick. And the D&D Beyond team is always updating the site with new features, so improvements are always coming and already on the way. Encounter Builder is in beta, and it is fun to tool around with and to dig up uh, cool, interesting creatures that you can throw together in a weird encounter and then just reskin them all as terrible, mutated Mornland monsters. Mm-hmm. Yep, just filter by what nasty effect you're looking for and find a way to add it together. So if that sounds great, check it all out at dndbeyond.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Siren Avenger. Ishan, what is the Siren Avenger? It was a prestige class from back in 3.5 D&D, where you were a survivor of the Day of Mourning, obsessed with discovering its cause and punishing the perpetrators. Alright, so what's the build? It is Vengeance Paladin 11, College of Whispers Bard 6, Monster Slayer Ranger 3. Alright, so from Paladin, we will get Divine Sense to detect undead and fiends. You get heavy armor and a shield, lay on hands, which will work inside the Mornland. You'll get smites and improved smite, uh, so radiant damage on every attack should be helpful against the undead. And disease immunity, which, cross your fingers, works on Mornland diseases too. Uh, you'll also get a fighting style, will naturally gravitate towards either defense or dueling, depending on whether you want that shield. And then you get useful spells like cure wounds, uh, create food and water, which means you'll be able to survive if you need to stay in the Moorland long term. Remove Curse, which should be very effective on all kinds of wacky things you'll find in there. Uh, and Revivify, just in case. Now, one of the things about the Siren Avenger was that they were purposely looking for the cause. They were interrogating people. This is mm-hmm. this is one of their jobs outside of the Moorland, was like kicking in doors and, and beating people up and shaking them for names. Right. Which is why you have access to Zone of Truth. Because you want to know if someone's lying to you or not. Right. You also get killer oath spells like Misty Step, Haste, Hold Person, and Protection from Energy, which should help with living spells. Uh, You'll have Vow of Enmity, which will let you frighten or freeze a creature in place or grant you advantage on attacks for one minute. 
you'll be able to move as part of an opportunity attack, and at level 10 you become immune to fear, which is good because even the most hardened soldier sometimes meets things that shake them to their core. So from College of Whispers Bard, we will get Jack of All Trades to add half our proficiency to untrained skills. We'll get Song of Rest to gain extra healing on when you spend hit dice. That should work in we'll, the Moorland as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get Bardic Inspiration and, of course, Counter Charm, which makes it more difficult to charm your party. You'll get two expertises, one of which should be Survival to get you through the Mists. You get Psychic Blades, which will let you spend those Bardic Inspirations to deal Psychic Damage, um, both to not leave traces on people you're interrogating, but also if you happen to be fighting alone because no one wants to join you in your terrible quest for vengeance, you can use your Bardic Inspiration for something useful. Right. And then Words of Terror will let you frighten someone just by talking to them, uh, which will help a lot in your interrogation and intimidation. And then Mantle of Whispers allows you to steal an identity. Yep. Uh, if you kill somebody or watch somebody die, you can basically steal their face and their surface memories. Uh, it's really, you're sort of cutting out the middleman in the interrogation. Right. <laughs> Uh, and then you'll get spells like Vicious Mockery, Charm Person, Detect Thoughts, Speak with Dead, uh, maybe Warding Wind, all useful for somebody who is investigating the Mornland. Yeah, like the Mornland's full of corpses. You can interrogate them as well with Speak with Dead. And then right. ask if Warding Wind works on the Dead Grey Mists. They are mists, right? That should that should work maybe. Right. For Ranger, um, ask if your favorite terrain can be the Mornland. I wouldn't have a problem with that. And then I'd probably pick undead unless you're like super sure that house Kenneth caused it or whatever. And then pick, pick the race of that dragon, my house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then the, uh, ridge will allow you to. So this is, um, this is monster slayer. So monster slayer lets you, uh, as an action, learn the resistances, immunities, and vulnerabilities of a creature that you're looking at a few times a day, which is very helpful when you have a weird mutated monster that is very different from what you thought it would be in the first place. So then as a bonus action, you can add D6 damage on a hit. And you also get access to Goodberry, so you can make your own wine. Um, do you want to do ideas or this one sort of self-explanatory? I think this one is good. Works for me. So in terms of leveling order, what do we want to do here, Ishan? Oh, yeah, I'd say Paladin 6 straight through gives you that saving throw bonus, uh, which is helpful everywhere, but also definitely in the Moorland. And then I like Ranger 3, Bard 6, and then finish out Paladin. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about long-term consequences. Thank you, Discord. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the Immortal. Well, that's it for episode 230 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Do you love Cobalt Press 5th Edition Adventures? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, now you can get some of their best on Fantasy Grounds. You mean like Courts of the Shadowfey, an adventure for 7th uh-huh. to 10th level characters? Yes, and I also mean Necropolis of the Mailed Fist, a one-session adventure for 8th level characters. So Courts of the Shadowfey contains 100 NPCs. 
a map with more than 60 locations and 40 different combat and role-playing encounters. That is more than I would give you. And it will take you from the mortal world to the heart of shadow. Meanwhile, Necropolis of the Mailed Fist is a punishing single-session tournament dungeon. It's got monsters and constructs guarding the Necropolis that can overwhelm the careless or unwary. I kind of want to play this now. Like, I don't know, Intraconso? Uh-huh. All right, you run it. <laughs> there are traps and hazards protecting relics, and they can slay an adventurer who makes a single misstep, which is fine because you're not playing this character next week anyway. Uh, there are curses everywhere, along with dangers that can destroy your magic items, so watch out. So everything you need to play, both of these adventures, is loaded up and ready to go on a sleek virtual tabletop for Fantasy Grounds. If you want to learn more, go to fantasygrounds.com and tell them DSPN sent you.